Hello and welcome to Catching Foxes. This podcast is brought to you by layevangelist.com. In today's episode number eight, we talk about pornography. We get very real, very clear, and very sad. That's right, but don't worry. We ended on a high note where I make fun of Luke not making me be his best man at his wedding. I'm still pissed. Aunt D wants to know when we're going to be on iTunes. Aunt D doesn't want to know that. You want to know that no, because no, you're selfish. I'm not kidding. Aunt D just said, and I'm going to bring up the text message. We have to talk about Aunt D in every episode. Oh, I love Aunt D. She's funny. so great. Love Aunt D. Listen, Aunt D's going to be at the wedding, so you guys are going to have to be hanging out. Um, so she's on she's on a um, – they, they have an Airstream, and they're on a trip, and they're about to drive back, and, she, and she's like, oh, I really want to hear you guys. Just, I, I, I need uh, to I need, uh, catch up, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I'm saying – then I asked her, well, it, once it's on iTunes, you'll be able to have it in their podcast app. And she says, when will that be? I said, I'll ask Gomer. And she said, okay, exclamation point. Anyways, um, we started to talk about a thing when we were just kind of chatting after our episode, our fantastic conversation with Arlene. I think it's worth talking about mm-hmm. authenticity mm-hmm. and honesty. And I think because I brought it up, me and my me and um, my fiance Aaron, um, I'll be extremely honest, you guys has been chased. My, so you're being extremely honest. Look how holy you two are. No, and it's it's been chased. It's been chased. That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I and it's been so awesome that I haven't really ever had to stop and think about it because it's just felt like it's a normal, non-crazy relationship, which is not why it's great. I love my relationship because of Aaron, and I love Aaron with my whole heart, and it's amazing. And that's and that's a part of it, you know. So it's so it, I can see how it's a means to an end in terms of just being yeah. a good person and having a healthy relationship because they're hard. They're hard enough. Yeah. Anyways, I didn't bring that up during our conversation because I thought, oh, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to talk about these things. And I was like, wait, but that's kind of the spirit of our podcast is to be able to talk about things that we have we have but we have uh, we have to talk about and one of the things that inspired this was at least on my end wanting to do our podcast was the show bad christian and one of the points that they make is to talk about things like this they talk about things like they talk about, they talk about like sex all the time because all the no time? One, almost every i mean they have a podcast on their podcast network called free sex there you uh, go. and they i mean honestly and they're sponsored by Triple X Church, if they ever wanted to sponsor us, it would be fantastic. I think so that's great. a great organization. Yeah. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, they go and they, I think with a lot of tact, they go to porn trade shows and just try to be nice and love people. They sh- they share they um, share Bibles or they do like I mean the guy who is who um, helps like run the whole thing. One of his best friends became Ron Jeremy. Sorry. Well, one of Ron Jeremy became um, one of his best friends. And I love how I'm not sure they just, they talk about these, these things. And I think within American Catholicism, especially, and I don't mean any um, harm against you, against, um, against you. Cause I know you're kind of in, in this group of speakers, but people who are more well known were not honest i think if it came out that a speaker got a girl pregnant people wouldn't hire him anymore and i don't know i would say uh in terms of not being honest i disagree in terms of not hiring a speaker who would get a girl pregnant i agree what i mean by that is simply this the people who are who gravitate towards speakers to being speakers are are twofold people who see a need and have an ability to fill it right so they see like oh yeah. there aren't people teaching an authentic view of chastity therefore let me do that that's arlene yeah but yeah. then there are people who are broken and they see the ideal 
regardless of whether or not they live it. And they agree with the ideal because they're living the damage. So you have this instance of people who are pornography addicts and yet understand what pornography does to people. Therefore, they want to tell teenagers or whoever to stay away from porn. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry, I actually, I misspoke earlier. Okay. I didn't I mean that. So, like, I, I mean, of course, they're like, I, I, with all the people, I mean, there are there are people who speak, obviously, like you, who are either extremely good friend of mine or someone that I would would, uh, would consider to be a friend. And I, and I and I don't mean that they aren't honest, but I think there is this unspoken pressure that. I think just I think it was there when when we were in college at at Steubenville. And I think it probably exists within not just the Catholic Church in this country, but within uh, within American Christianity as a whole. This pressure to look like you have your stuff together. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'll say this honestly, like I. I view myself as someone who is addicted to pornography. Therefore, my whole life, if someone were to ask me, honestly, like, are you addicted to porn? I would say yes. If they say, are you looking at porn? I would say no. Just like if you were to go up to someone like a relative of mine and say, are you a drug addict? He would say yes. When was the last time you did drugs? Oh, it was five years ago or ten years ago. You know, the the idea of what pornography does to us as human beings is as addictive as drugs, but we dismiss it because it's not drugs. It's not injecting chemicals into you. It's viewing chemicals, right? It's a chemical response to what we view, not what we inject. And so the people don't understand the dopamine reactions and all these other things that occur, shame, no shame, hiding it, um, masturbation and and um, fantasizing included or not included in it, people don't understand what kind of lock that has on your on your brain, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like a mental illness in that regards, right? Like like addiction is, you know, it's a disease that infects the way you view the world, and so with pornography, you. Many people want to view it as a light on or light off, right? Either you're looking, you looked at porn recently or you don't, or you haven't. Um, when in reality, it's like a drug addiction. You're an addict, even if you haven't looked at it for decades and decades and decades. And so yeah. for me personally, I was exposed to pornography at age six, right? Hardcore, explicit, triple X, vulgar, dis- and I remember the very first pornographic movie i've ever seen i remember every detail i saw about Mm. five minutes of it i remember every detail was of dad hiding it from his wife by putting it in his son's closet uh and it was vhs cassette tapes that he hid inside the jackets of normal movies like the one that we saw which was indiana jones and the temple of doom we thought "Ooh, temple of doom this is the one my our parents won't let us see and then we, my friend and my brother had seen it before, the pornographic thing. And so they were like, oh, dude, this is a, like, what is this? And then we also, I was six. That's crazy. My brother was eight. My brother's friend was eight or nine. He was about a year older, but not quite a year. And we knew that it was something bad because we made my brother post watch at the front window. But at the same time, like, I honestly, as a six-year-old, I didn't know what they were talking about when they were like, oh, you got to see this, you got to see this, you got to see this. And then I saw it, and I was like, I mean, I remember, I, I, I mean, I can recount to you every word of dialogue in that movie. Um, when I went to counseling, right, so I've been to counseling twice because of this, uh, once in college and once after college. When I went to counseling, the guy listening to me said, you literally, he said, I don't do sex. Like, that's not his main thing. It's like sex addiction or any of that's the pornography. He does just normal counseling for adults. And he said, I can't help but notice for adult men and also women, it's growing the sex addiction, especially with pornography. 
But then he hears me and the way I tell it. And he literally said this. He said, you sound like the 50 or so men I've talked to who are Vietnam veterans describing post-traumatic stress syndrome. Wow. I've never heard you say that before. About right, because I don't talk about this ever because I'm ashamed of the whole deal. So the the whole thing that he said was, he said, like, because I'll tell him, I'll be like, I will sit there and look at pornography and sing praise and worship songs in my head. And he was like, you'll sing what? And, I, and he was a Christian counselor. He was a counselor who was Christian. He wasn't a Christian yeah. counselor. And he would be like, you sing what? And I'm like, praise and worship songs like Chris Tomlin, Hillsong United, Matt Marr, who's a Catholic. He's like, oh, my God, are you serious? And I go, yeah. It's as if I'm on autopilot in one instance, and my my conscious self is trying to pull away from it but can't. And he literally, like, <laughs> in terms of counselors, this guy's been a counselor for, like, 30, 40 years. His jaw dropped. And he said, this is not what happens when I talk with people who are addicted to pornography. The typical addiction to pornography happens when they're 15, 16 years old, they're exposed to pornography, um, you know, they're looking at, it's it's more than looking at boobs in National Geographic, right? Mm-hmm. It's It's in terms of the sexuality stuff, right? So like actually having sex, intercourse, all that stuff. And he said, for a young person, when they see that, it's like a shockwave through their body. But for you at six years old, seeing that, it is as if you went through the Vietnam War of pornography. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, you're you're like experiencing almost like disassociative events where like I'm having like an out-of-body experience where my brain's like click, 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 click. Like the clicks are the things I see in the real world that remind me of pornography, right? So women wearing super tight clothing, uh, women wearing low, you know, like busty cleavage showing shirts. And it's like, and then then all of a sudden, like, out of nowhere, like, you can be totally, like, and I say innocent, like, meaning, like, this, the women aren't trying to be immodest. They're just wearing, like, you know, black dress pants at work. But my eyes see it, and then it's like, click, 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 and the cycle, the cycle starts. It's like, I have to find a place in a time where I'm alone and look at pornography. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. And it's, and, and it's all like this. It, it's not subconscious because I'm aware of it, but it's bore as, as borderline as I can describe. And then I just go numb. And I remember being at, you know, our prestigious Catholic university, Franciscan university. What, 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 and, uh, feeling this intense cycling going on mm-hmm. and being like, okay, my roommate has class at this time, this time, this time. I can be alone at this time and this time. My friends are probably going to interrupt me because they're done with class at this time, this time. They probably want me to be at lunch or dinner at this time in the calf. Therefore, I have 40 minutes here, 30 minutes here, 20 minutes here. I need to look at pornography at the 40 minutes. And it was, it was, it was automatic. And so for people who don't understand that, like they're like, just stop looking. I remember I, we hosted, I brought in a guy who – his whole thing was well, Dr. Scott Hahn's um, father-in-law. That was amazing. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Um, yeah. He religious alliance against pornography, all these other groups. Um, his whole thing is like pornography cultivates like rape within men, destroys marriages, all this stuff. Why are we allowing it? Blah blah blah. And so we he just spoke on it. We had standing room only in this in this room, but we advertised it for about a week. And this woman who saw the advertisements was like. I don't want to see this porn stuff all over like porn, you know, advertising for an anti-porn talk all over campus. Like, this is gross. Like, if you don't want to look at it, just don't look at it. <sighs> and that girl was dating a household brother of ours and I, who was sitting next to her. And I go, could you please inform her to what this does to a man who has seen pornography versus what it does to a woman who has never seen pornography? And he looked at her and he goes, you really have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> And uh, actually was quiet after that. Um, <laughs> we should probably bleep out her name. And was quiet <laughs> after that um, because she had never been exposed to it, but then immediately was like, oh, damn, this is like a thing, you know? I don't know. Yeah. And I, 
I'm willing to bet just because it's um I mean I obviously I know a lot about your story because I I would like to think that uh, because you love me. Yeah, yeah, and just like I suffered that with you. Yeah. You know, like while you were going through all the things and I and I can honestly attest to how much you bled trying to work through all that and you're in a much better place now because of that struggle i think i'm not saying that's good that you experienced it but i think that you know i can i can say with confidence that you're you are on the other you're on the other side of that yeah which i think is a testament to your your will your wife and your love of god and ultimately god's grace and you're not alone. And I think a, a lot of people don't understand, and especially dads who, like, um, all of the men who are of our dad's age, because we grew up in an age where it was so accessible, so accessible. And the stories of guys who started to see it when they were, I was 12 years old, the first time that I was exposed to a pornography. Who was so exposed I, to you? Um, it was a friend. His dad had a, um, a national – I mean, his stepdad – it ended up being kind of bad. His stepdad had, like, just a trunk, an entire trunk filled with porn. Yeah. And we just, like, had complete access to it anytime his parents were gone. Yeah. Just complete utter – and then Did we his actually, wife know? Um, yeah, because um, he – yeah, it was, really, it was really screwed up. They found that a bunch of were missing. They confronted – of the son, the son said, yeah, it was me and Luke and this other guy. And they called our parents. And I will give my parents a lot of credit for this. They confronted me about it. And I was like, no, it's a lie. It's a lie. And they said, we don't want you to be looking at this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's okay if you did. And and they meant okay. And, and I understood this in the moment that I wasn't bad because that it was bad but i wasn't bad because i did that yeah that that's a struggle that now that i was an adolescent this is gonna start to happen yeah this is just a part let me let me contrast that with my experience my Mm -hmm. parents never caught me with pornography ever 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 one time they came very close but they never caught me with pornography yet my experience of my brother and my brother's friend, especially who got caught with pornography, was a scream fest from my mom. And I knew from that moment I had better hide it or else I would no longer be the best son, the good son. Mm. Right. So my oldest brother, great guy, but not the good son. My brother Chris, watch out. Rebel son, and then me, the good son, the religious son, the one who loves his Catholic faith son, the one who defines himself by his Catholic faith, the one who, when he was 16 years old, got a Chevy S10 pickup and then wrote Catholic Boy, posted <laughs> stickers called Catholic Boy on the front windshield of his uh, car. That That's who I was. It was my identity was derived from my Catholic faith. Um, to fall from grace in my parents' eyes would be a fate worse than death. And then I went to my first Steubenville conference when I was 16, 17 years old, 17. And I got back from that conference a changed person. At least I hoped. And I told my parents of my addiction to pornography. Uh, in one sense, I told them that I looked at pornography. So they got Cyber Patrol or something, one of those mm-hmm. software things. My dad did put it on my computer, which was still in my bedroom even afterwards. Put on my computer. Uh, my parents don't understand computers even to this day, and I do. And welcome to America Online was my gateway to pornography for years and years. Uh, do you? And, I'm sorry. No, no, no. What are you gonna say? Do you think that because that's something that even though my parents, I, I don't think I went down that road. I mean, it's definitely been a struggle. Mm-hmm. In my life, but I don't think I went down on the way that a lot of guys that had that experience that you kind of had, and especially those who were exposed to it at a young age, 
Well, sorry. I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it was still a problem, but I don't think it was at the level that guys like yourself who had been exposed to it very young before they even knew how babies worked or how they were, you know, yeah. how they were conceived. Do you think that parents, one, obviously they didn't know that, that was that was happening when it came to things like on a VHS tape. Do you think they really had any clue how bad it was on the internet and how accessible it was to to guys our age? My at that time? parents had no clue. I remember one night I had a handful of my friends spend the night. It's probably my birthday or something. About four or five people spend the night. And I went to... This is AOL like 3 or 4.0. This is still dial-up. Right? Yeah. This is still... You had to buy five or ten hours a month to go on the internet. And I remember what you would do, which one of my friends told me, is you go into a chat room and you say, Hey... Anyone want to trade GIFs or GIFs, G-I-F? Now, today, we all know GIFs as those hilarious BuzzFeed animated things. But at that time, GIF was a graphical interface format or whatever it stands for. It was just uh, a picture. Uh, JPEG was around, but not the most standard format. And it would take me 15 minutes to download a picture. That's what the Internet was like back then. And I remember sending an email, and here's the deal. My Catholic guilt prevented me from ever trading, but I was always receiving. And I remember one day I had this image. A This guy's like, oh, you're going to love this dude. Total big boob woman, yeah. I'm like, awesome. You know, I'm like 15 at the time, right? And this image comes up, and it's totally of bondage, right? Like, which I always, and to this day, thank you, Fifty Shades of Grey, view as violence against women, right? I don't view it as a beautiful, liberating form of sexuality, blah, blah, blah. And I just remember this one image, and it shocked me into abstaining from pornography for like a year. I can't believe I saw that, you know? Um, my parents were so clueless that one time my mom walked in on me looking at a picture and I alt-tabbed, but because it was a Packard Bell computer 486, it took it took a while to switch. Then my mom saw that I was looking at something inappropriate, but I hit alt-tab like six times. So it was like, porn, Microsoft Word, porn, Microsoft Word, porn, Microsoft Word. And it just kept switching back and forth. I was like, son of a bitch, stop it. And then my mom's like, what are you looking at? And I explained it away because I'm a good liar. And no one ever got me help. No one ever intervened. No one ever said a thing. The end. I was stuck with pornography. If you are a parent and if you have a kid who's in high school and if you are are listening to our show, um, that's awesome. One. And then uh, please have your kid listen. Two, if you catch your kid, please, 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 please don't ground them. Oh. I think that's some of the worst things. Like either as like get them help like just if it seems like they really need help and just talk to them about it tell them that you're in a they're in a safe place where they can talk to you about it because as much as that helped me out when i was 12 we never talked about it again and i do think in high school i took advantage of that because once we had aol i and i learned what clear history was and what a catch was and how to delete it and all this stuff it was you know it was hard it was and we have to be vulnerable and we can't be mad when someone like i mean yes you want you want to help your kids to grow into strong-willed good people who know how to work hard and how to um and how how to love god we want to form young catholics at the same time and i think it's going to change once we're older i don't i still think there's a good portion of our population do not understand what this has done to people of our age and how easy and how almost impossible it was to avoid it mm -hmm. yeah you had to actively avoid it rather than seek it out almost at this point oh yeah easily and, you know and like this is not a thing that has, this is 20 years old. This is just the internet. 
yeah. just the internet. This isn't this isn't even of the magazines that you could find at a buddy's dad. I mean, that stuff is child's play now, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Think about Instagram. Think about on Twitter. Think about all those things that make it so easy. Dr. Han one time said this line. He said, with the internet and broadband always on connection, you have piped into every family room or bedroom or wherever there's an internet-connected you know, computer. He said, you have access to pornography that 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you would have had to gone to three or four cities in the United States and know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy in order to find that type of pornography. Mm-hmm. He said, and now all you have to do is search Google. You can find the most depraved, disgusting stuff if, you know, uh, whatever. I mean, obviously Google's going to point. You know what's funny about Google Google will will when you start typing in pornographic like search terms, Google stops. Right, it stops suggesting stuff. It'll still produce the results, but it won't suggest stuff. Uh, do you want to keep talking about this, which I am okay with, or do you want to kind of dive a little bit more into just like this and how it relates to the church and being a vulnerable and all that stuff? I mean, either way, either way. What do you? I think, you know, I mean, people know that people look at pornography. I want to say, before we go into anything else, Audrey Assad, Catholic, well, number one, uber hipster, uber Catholic, <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal voice, phenomenal She's a great voice. Oh, my gosh. I one time, um, I can't remember how it came up. I want to say maybe it was Facebook. Someone said, hey, here's this. Amazing talk by Audrey Aside at the recent Focus event. Oh, I know. Because I was going to go to that Focus event. I have some friends in Focus who want me to come and just listen to it. And I love the Focus conferences, right? Fellowship of Catholic University students. And she gave a talk. And in their talk, she said, I'm just going to read this. I Usually I just give a talk. But I wrote all this stuff down because I really wanted to get this right and say what I wanted to say. And then she proceeded. You could tell she's reading it. But it was the... Best talk I've ever heard, number one, on pornography, number two, on, like, family dynamics, and number three, on a woman who's addicted to pornography. Mm -hmm. And I have recommended that to dozens of men to just be like, shut up, listen, and realize she's telling your story. But it's even worse for women because she points out in the middle, one of the funny parts of it, she points out that men are all like, oh, yeah, dude, I'll pray for you, bro. But women, they're, it's like she said, the men are, it's like they're all imprisoned in pornography, but they're all in prison together. Whereas yeah. for women, it's all like they're all in solitary confinement and they have no clue that there's anyone else around them. Um, there's a great thing for for any woman who is in that state and kind of and if you and if you are going if if you have those emotions where you feel like you are alone with that one, please go and hear that talk. And two, bad Christian has a great ebook on that on and it's strictly by women who are going through all that stuff right now. And so I just um Bad encourage you. Yeah. Yeah, it's they they talk about this stuff all the time. It's yeah, awesome. That's true. They really they they are such advocates for trying to bring things to other light and really understanding them for what they are. It's it's amazing. I I actually tithe to them about twenty bucks a month just to. Okay, just month. to That's let you know, tithing cool. means giving ten percent. It doesn't mean donating. Oh, oh sorry. Whatever. No, Gosh, listen. I make <laughs> money here. I mean, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Beep. In the last podcast, you said you're from Cincinnati. This podcast, you say I make that <laughs> money. Okay, sorry, we were on such a great roll. But anyways, no, I, I think it's important. Okay, and also, guys, if you hear a girl who says they struggle with a pornography, hit yourself in the balls as opposed to saying, that's kind of hot. Like, mm. seriously, shut up. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's absolutely right. The The problem is, there is an instinctual okay so for men who have been sexualized through pornography there is this n- new format cuz it right it rewrites your brain especially in terms of sexuality and the rewards and you know whatnot centers of your brain that 
to view a woman as a sexual object is natural. But the problem is with men who look at pornography, they don't find women who want to have sex with them like the women in the porn videos do. But when they hear about a woman who looks at pornography, they think, aha, she's open season. She wants it just as much as I do. Yep. This young woman who was on the retreat with us came up to me. I'm addicted to pornography. And I remember looking at her and being, thinking my first impulse was, oh my God, a woman looking at pornography? How dare she? And then being like, screw you, man. <laughs> like, you know, like immediately my, that first impulse, that porn had shaped. And then when my rational center of my brain kicked in, it was, how dare you even think that? She's caught in the same net of brokenness that you're caught in. Don't even don't even think about going like I've never had a woman be vulnerable like that to me out of nowhere before. And I didn't know how to deal with it. I was used to dealing with men who would say that, but I was not used to dealing with women. And I didn't think women struggled with it at all. I never thought a woman was a dick because, you know, one of the things was all those men's sessions I went to. This was a man's problem, not a woman's problem. And now you realize it's a woman's problem. And you're like, wait, what? You mean we're all it, effed up? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, I, you know, and um, th- that's the last part. Is we're all effed up. <laughs> like we're messed up, and we need to acknowledge that, and we need to talk about it because if not, it it owns us. You know, when we talk, and this is one of the things I think that was so great about our conversation with Arlene and about chastity is that it's not abstinence uh-huh. it's it's a virtue that has to be a developed and you have a, you have a, to grow and i'm willing to bet i'd say yeah you know you have to be okay with i'm probably going to fail if i'm trying if i'm trying to do this and i think to do that you have to really ask yourself if you're having a hard time being chased why because yeah. like, again we can all admit that it's a good thing to be but if i'm not why and with me it was, I desperately needed a girl to sexually accept me. Yeah. And I would sexually or physically? Um, like, like who, what you look like, who you are physically, or like engaged in sex with, or some sort of sexual. Yeah. Cause thing. I would, I would be really, sexually attractive versus I want to have sex with you. What do you mean by that? Um, I'm going to say a little bit of both. But I wouldn't seek. I wasn't trying to have sex with uh, with them. But I would. I was totally. I would say that I was trying uh, not to. But I was okay with really having to push that line. Mm-hmm. So everything. So in my mind, everything else was on the table. As like, well, we screw up, but don't we all? Yeah. You know, and I didn't want to admit that, and I would be so mad because I honestly, I reached a point where I was, and I mean, I think that. I, you know, because it's not like I would hit the gym all the time. I think if anything, I didn't because I had such poor self-image right. that I just accepted that's the way that I was and it was never going to be within my control. Because in high school, I was like, now that I look back on like a lot of my pictures, I'm like, wow, I'm like a relatively good, like pretty, a good looking guy. And I can remember like girls coming up and starting to talk with me and being like, what are you doing? Why is this happening? And towards the end and the beginning of college, I really had put on a lot of weight and stuff and it would kind of just be up and down. And it's been up and down since that point in time. And I think, and I really had to come to a point where I was like, okay, I need to own this. I'm actually a decent looking guy, even because I started to lose my hair when I was 18. And that took, like, I'll be very honest. Like that was horrible. It was like someone just taking a part of you and just like pulling it out. Pun intended. Like, I was just like, what the hell? Like, I mean, I honestly, I'm almost just as, I mean, I've, I've lost like a little bit of more hair, but if you can remember, like I was I, like, it was really bad during our first year. And that was really hard. And I think when I asked, when I had a girl who was attracted to me, it one told me that those things I thought about myself weren't true. And a little bit of the hair thing as well, just kind of be like, okay, so I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And then you want, I, I think that was just a little bit more of like me I mean that I mean they're 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 both they both were an overall 
They came from the same problem that I could never accept myself for the way that I was. I needed someone else to do that, whether it was our friends, whether it was our household, uh, whether it was my friends back home, all of my teachers, whoever. I needed to have someone else who was not me doing a thing that I absolutely knew you were okay. We accept you. I can remember being told my junior year, a girl thought I was just so popular and I hated how much I liked hearing that in college. Yeah. I, I, and cause I make a lot of jokes about it now and it's just a way that I try to combat that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, not now, but um, I mean, I don't care. Honestly, I really, I've, I've gone over, I mean, I, I had to go to counseling for a lot of this stuff, but um because I wanted to get over these issues. I just didn't want to like, I like, I think everyone has issues that they probably, they, not everyone, but a, a lot of people. Counseling's not a bad thing. Let me just put it that way. You're not like, you're not like oh, mentally screwed up. You're just a person who went through life. Anyways, um, I think that I, I took that stuff and I, um, I, and I, so when that girl said, you're just like so popular, I hated how much I liked hearing that because mm-hmm. I don't think I ever got that in high school, even though I got to a point towards the end where I had tons of friends. I knew I was the center of our youth group in terms of we could dictate very easily the tone of it and how it was going because people looked at us and we were told that constantly in, 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 in a good way. And I was always, and I, and I, I, and, and, I meant well, but I needed to hear those things. I felt because I was like, "Tell me that I am, that I am good," and that during high school, what I thought was me just screwing up with girls, as a Christian trying to practice of the faith and being, "Well, I'm in high school. I'm a dude. It happens." As I got older, it wasn't until I was probably about twenty-seven or twenty-six, around that age, that I had to go wait. This is there something easy there. You okay? Yeah, my chair literally broke. <laughs> I thought you fell over or something. No, I'm not fine. that I think you're drunk. Um, when I hit 27 or 20, sorry, I, I've been I've been going on. Um, no, it's great. I hit a point where I, where I was like, oh, this is like I'm not. I I don't I don't think I'm a chaste individual or a chase guy and it's not because it's just hard i'm a dude it's because i have some problems i need this i feel like i have to have a girl who wants to be sexual with me i didn't want to have sex i didn't want to cross that that was a line that i really didn't want did not want to cross but deep down i knew that i needed everything else and so yeah Yeah. i had to kind of go we got to address this. And I, for me, it was, it was, hmm? it was specifically, uh, a girlfriend who, before I started dating her, had no clue. But after she revealed to me a lot of this stuff, she was hugely broken sexually. Just the person who'd been statutory raped for years of her life. But for her intimacy, in terms of like growing in a relationship versus intimacy in terms of physical expression were they were the same thing she had no idea how to be affectionate to someone or how to love someone without it immediately being sexual and when she was sexually available it brought me into a whole world of hurt whole world of hurt but here's the good news about that is though it, you know, because it's spiritual gravity, those who are the lowest always pull down the other one. Unless the other one is so strong that they can then move beyond it. Um, and I was not that strong. She brought me down into a lot of ways. I never, like, literally the worst day of my life was Easter Monday. I remember Mike, this guy named Mike, who's the son of a famous person, uh, <laughs> sitting in my <laughs> college dorm room being like, you are just destroying yourself. What are you thinking? And I'm like, and I'm just staring. I never even looked at them. I just stared ahead and was like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. And I'm still a virgin. But the things that happened, like I deeply 
it's not that I regret it. I mean, I do regret it, but like, like it was almost like that disassociative thing where it's like, okay, this is happening. I'm just going to let it happen and I'm going to do it and whatever it's done. Um, oh my God. And it took me years to get over that years, but for her, for her, I was a healing instrument in her life. For her, I mean, she ended up writing me like, if it wasn't for you, I would never know what it meant to love another person without sex. But because she was so far gone and became restored, and I was, I, I, I wasn't restored by any means. I was addicted to pornography at this time. But because it was a selfish thing that never involved another person until her, that broke me so many ways. And it mm-hmm. took me years to get over that until I started dating my now my now wife, um, who would never tolerate any of that stuff. Uh, that there's just the the level of of woundedness that's out there that we don't talk about because we're ashamed of it is so real. I, I think the greatest tool of the devil is our embarrassment. It's not our pride. I'm sure it probably is our pride, but pride because of embarrassment. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we don't want to admit how far we've fallen. And so we hide it. And then we pretend that we're really not that fallen. Do you think that, do we have a moral obligation? Like what we're doing right now. I think this is, this is really cool and healthy. It's, it's, it's actually been a long time since we've had a conversation like, well, I mean, we can usually be pretty honest. Uh, we can be pretty honest with each other about this stuff, but not since episode two quote, my poofy hair has Luke and Michael Gormley been this honest. with <laughs> Um, it do you think we have a moral do we have a moral obligation to be this honest with everyone no because there is an element of of being okay so here's the deal when i had a parent walk up to me and say how much should i admit to my kid what i've done when i was their age and they're like, I don't want to admit to anything because I feel like my kid's going to use an excuse. Well, you did this whenever they screw up. And I said this. I, at the time, I said the wrong answer, which is just protect your reputation. Right? Now, I, I, I do believe in a radical honesty because, uh, in the words of Dave Ramsey, you know, when he's talking about someone, or not Dave Ramsey, um, John Maxwell, who's a leadership guy that Dave Ramsey's friends with. Uh, who talks about a leader should always admit his faults. And this one guy came up to him after a conference and was like, no, never. I should never admit my faults. I have to lead by example, and I have to minimize my faults so that other people can feel confident in me leading. And the guy said, you have you have one, he's like, I agree with you, but you have one problem in your reasoning. And the guy said, what is it? And he said, you think they don't know your weaknesses already. And the idea is simply this. When we admit our weaknesses, that brings about an element of not just identification with the people, you know, like us giving a podcast or whatever, but it the, it comes across. Like my wife will tell me stories about, oh, my God, I can't believe so-and-so got divorced. They've been married for 30 years. Like, tell me about the man. She'll tell me about the man. I'm like, oh, he's addicted to pornography. And she would be like, how do you know that? I'm like, because I'm freaking addicted to pornography and I know this stuff. Like, I can hear it when people talk about it. I feel like there are people in our audience who could probably pick up on these things. And if we don't admit it, we're playing games to them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this isn't confession. I'm not coming on here being all Oprah Winfrey to everyone, like, oh, my God, three weeks ago I looked at porn I told my wife yeah. she punched me yeah. in the throat. You know, like, I don't need to do that. I, this isn't confession for me. This isn't therapy. This is us engaging in a conversation about the culture's intersection with our faith. And part of that culture is the, the pornographic culture that we're caught up in, the sexualized, dramatized, hyper-individualized um, culture that we're drawn up in, and we need to talk about that. I think this mm-hmm. is the most important podcast that we probably have. I kind of think so, too. Yeah. It's only um, seven beers in that we can actually have it. <laughs> Thank God for Coke Zero. 
<laughs> and thank God for this Cleveland whiskey that I got for our wedding that I've been drinking. And Arlene Spensley. <laughs> yeah. Spensley. Yes, that's right. Um, no, and you know, I mean, I, um, I, I think you're, I, I think the thing is you have to be prudent. It's really been on my heart to talk about things like this uh, recently. And so I think that part of this is I have to model what I think we should uh, be doing. I think, you know, you have to know when do I, like if I was still uh, working at a school, I wouldn't be doing this. Yeah. You know, I, I just don't think that'd be appropriate. I, now I think amongst our friends, absolutely. You know, but I just, I do think that when we are, it all depends on, because Scandal is a real thing, and that's a thing that I, I would I would bring up to the guys on the bad on the bad Christian podcast is they will attend argue who cares what other people think about you. Yeah, and I'd say you're at, you are absolutely right. However, I need to worry about scandal a little bit. If I'm in charge of this organization, and if I admit to that I just looked at porn, yeah, people can go after that organization. And that can create a problem that might be a little bit unnecessary. Even As a matter of fact, I'll never forget when I gave a talk to the adults of my parish. And I admitted at one specific point in time of looking at pornography. And you should have seen the disappointment wash across their face. Mm-hmm. Uh, the face of a handful of like, especially women. I remember this one woman in particular. And she just went, oh, no, out loud. Like, she couldn't control herself. Yeah. Oh, no. And I'm like, fucking shit. As if I'm not, like, beating up myself enough about this. As if I haven't gone to confession multiple times about this. And here you are, like, but but then I realized, for this woman, who is still to this day my biggest fan, I love her to death, uh, this woman, it was... It was like a, you know, like the borderline equivalent of watching or seeing your, finding out your dad looks at porn. You know, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, really? absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. and for her, it was like, no, this guy's like my Catholic icon. This guy's like my Catholic professor. You know, I was all these things to her. But I'm, I'm failed. Hashtag failure, you know, ultimate fail, whatever it wanted to be. And for her, she didn't want to believe that that happened about me. But for me, if I didn't say that, I felt – and I'm I'm very guarded about personal experience. I've been in plenty – mostly because I've been in plenty of youth ministry experiences where people are like, yeah, man, like I had sex with this girl and now I'm like totally converted and it's been like two weeks. And you're like, you're not totally converted. <laughs> That's called guilt actually. <laughs> Hey, side note. Can I do a side note real quick? Yeah, of course. I've tried submitting our podcast to iTunes like six times, and it's failed every time. Really? Uh, no one wants our <laughs> our our brand of Christianity. Tim Cook, let us in. Tim Cook, help us. Help us, Tim Cook. You're our only help. Wait, so do they, so they can deny a podcast? It's not that they're denying it. It's that I can't freaking understand how to send the appropriate feed. Uh, so now that I think I finally got the appropriate feed, it's like, we need at least a 14 by 14 or 3,000 by 3,000 pixel PGN or PNG and RGB color space and hosted on server that was FTTP head requests from you. Cover art stuff. And I have cover art, but I think... The real cover art for our website is my picture that I took of Luke Skywalker talking to Princess Leia, and it says Catching Foxes starring Luke and Gomer. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's 13 or 1400 by 1400. I think it's less than that. So we'll get on that then, is what you're saying. (laughs) What I'm saying is everything depends on me to do everything about this podcast. I know. I feel, don't say that. I feel bad. And the only thing that depends upon Luke is getting guests. Yeah, that's true. I I got that shot. I just realized I did a um, hand gesture of like, yep, that's me. Like um, a sizzle thing where you're like, and uh, I realized that no one can see that. And it was pointless, Mm. but I just did it. Mm. I'm sorry. I feel bad. Listen, if you want me to do something, I've told you, 
send me the thing. I can go through the edit stuff. And What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Luke? What are you going to do with your life? I don't know. Um, I'm actually thinking about, well, anyways, that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> well, I'm actually thinking about opening up a restaurant called Burritos R Us. And it's a burrito restaurant, Tex-Mex mostly, for small children ages <laughs> 6 to 10. <laughs> At first I thought you were going to go with like an old prospector. <laughs> it's like Tex-Mex mostly. <laughs> Tex-Mex mostly out in the western country, which we call in Texas hill country. And uh, you can do some good prospecting. So the point is, everyone, we need to be vulnerable because if not, these things are going to go unsaid. And these are real problems. Like My best vulnerability story is a teen who was suicidal since fifth grade, had been a cutter since seventh grade, and now came to me as a tenth grader. I ended up becoming her confirmation sponsor, one of the most beautiful, wonderful women on the face of the earth. The day she got confirmed, she wrote me a letter. And included a picture, a frantically drawn picture, um, where instead of picking up an X-Acto knife and cutting her flesh, she used the X-Acto knife to sharpen a graphite pencil and made this beautiful image of Christ and his face. And she said, I guess you're right. Christ suffers with us, which is something that I have been telling her for years. Um, But in the middle, that was at the end of her letter, in the middle of her letter, Oh my God! In the middle of her letter, she quoted or she referenced uh, another teenager. She was this girl was a sophomore, and she referenced a, a senior. She said, "I'll never be like so and so, so beautiful, so pretty, with their life together, with a wonderful family, with everything so perfect." This other girl that she referenced in the letter, I had actually been meeting with. Once a week, every week, just like I'd been meeting with this girl. And the beautiful, pretty, et cetera, et cetera girl was desperately struggling. But the other girl, the suicidal cutting, felt like she was ugly girl, had no clue the level of hurt and brokenness in the popular, quote-unquote, girl's life. The popular girl had no friends that she felt like she could count on maybe one out of a, a dozen friends that she could actually count on and trust with the most personal intimate secrets of her life or things she was going through she had amazing parents that was true but as teenagers they don't always want to share with parents and this girl listed a whole, i mean like you could have bullet pointed it and the popular girl would have said i'm none of these things in tears would have said that And it was from that moment on that I realized that you can never judge a book by its cover because I met with both of them weekly about how much they hated their life. And going forward from that, like, it is my desperate hope that people who listen to this podcast, regardless of who you are, whether you're Catholic or not, whether you are full on or full or just like barely hanging on by a thread um, to your Catholic faith or Christian faith or whatever, that you realize that, in the words of Sherry Waddell, never accept a label in place of a story. Because once you ask people about themselves, you uncover the, the, like, the mystery and the brokenness and the hiddenness of their lives that, on the surface, you're like, oh, that guy, he's a great speaker. He's a living saint. And then you find out, oh, my God, he's addicted to pornography, or he's this, he's that. You just never know. And so the moment we set up these idols or these heroes or these losers or these condemned people, never accept a label in place of a story. Even for us. Especially for Luke. <laughs> Luke Amen. Luke Skywalker. I don't think we can end on a better note. I agree. Things I say are the best way to end. <laughs> Besides, really quick, who are, who are you listening to? All right, don't laugh at me, but I'm listening to Taylor Swift a lot. Of course you are, because she's the best. I'm just listening to her latest album, and because now it's on Apple Music. Um, oh, but okay, yeah. sorry. Go, no, I mean I'm off Spotify 100, percent and I'm entirely entrenched in Apple Music, and I love it. I do. T- I I love uh, it. I love I need, it. I love it. I love it. I need to dive into it a little bit more, but. So far, what I've used the most has been the playlist, and I love that. So good. 
that's been really good. And I listened to Shut Up and Dance with Me. Love that song. That's a, you know where they're from? Dayton. Cincinnati. What what's the deal with Cincinnati and you? The Nastinati to where I live. Um What? You're not supposed to admit that? Uh who cares? I just don't say where I, where I work. Oh, good call. Because that corporation <laughs> That organization. <laughs> uh, um, no, uh, what's your favorite song off of that album? Um, I love Bad Blood, which yeah. is apparently about Katy Perry stealing her backup dancers. I heard that. I heard that's also not true, but I kind of want to believe it's true because it makes it more fun. Fact. Um, and Welcome to New York. I really like yeah. Welcome to New York. I really like it. Okay, can someone from a New York City hire me and Gomer to come out to do a live podcast? I would really like that. We will do it. You'll have to pay us a decent amount of money. But still, if you do that, we'll do it. Jill, Jill, I'm talking to you directly. Jill. You know New York. You can bring us out, and me and you are personal friends, and I'm going to see you in April. So, Jill. Before I see you in April, in March, fly me and Luke out in order to give the greatest Catching Foxes podcast this world has ever seen. Jill, it'll be amazing. And I've been in love with New York since Oliver and company um, make this happen. Uh, Really quick, I want to give a shout out to the band Abandon Kansas. Uh, I have been listening to their new album, which is on BC Records. Very, very good. What a horrible name. I know. Abandoned Kansas. My brother lives in Kansas with his whole family. It's a, no, it's, it's an, it's an amazing album. They have a song about the guy's dad's death and just uh, really quick having a guy who, um, who lost his father. It's hard for me to listen to it because it's so honest, but it is amazing. Yeah. It ends with him crying and just going, damn it. You know what was great about these experiences that we have? Like, your father's funeral was so joyful. Mm, I agree, yeah. It was a joyful experience, and it brought two people together. You know who it brought it together? Not romantically, but just as friends. A girl named Sarah and a boy named Thomas. Mm. Was it the first time that they met? No. Thomas hated Sarah. Hated her. And really? I'm like, Sarah's like my favorite person. He's like, can't stand her. And then oh, we I met. Know. It was, let's, let's just, I'll be honest here. He was like, I don't like her. He, he had his reasons, which I always look past because Sarah's a bucket of joy. Oh, don't talk about it. She's one of my best friends. I just said she's you a know. bucket of joy. Yeah. I love Sarah. And honestly, when he told me that, it broke my heart. It's one of those where, like, you have one group of friends over here, you have another group of friends over here, and you just think, well, if I'm the glue that connects these two groups, <laughs> clearly they should love each other. And then you find out, oh, my God, they have a separate encounter, you know, middle ground between the two, and that was all negative. And you're like, no, 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 that that can't happen. No. no, no. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I love Jim Gaffigan. You have two groups of friends. Okay, 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 okay. Let me prep you. This group of friends, they they don't know I drink. <laughs> and this group of friends, they, they think I speak with a British accent. So just go with it. <laughs> That's honestly what I felt like when I sat down at the the table. We called a reception, funeral reception. Yeah, yeah, down yeah. At well, I the, remember being really a weird out because it was like a couple. I mean, like my one friend from high school. Yeah. Well, I mean, not all friends in high school, but just the one who you was had able tons to of friends make in high school, man. You were the most popular guy, no, uh, Luke. Say. Well, no, I would feel bad because of like, what if I'm other like, wait, oh, we weren't friends, but it was like part of my high school who you had met Aaron, but he hadn't really hung out with like the majority of those people. No, but I knew Aaron, yeah, god, that guy, he was a disaster. <laughs> not I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I like that guy and yeah. his awkward story about him in high school with his girlfriend on the beach. Oh, no, on the beach. It was at Lincoln Park, one of the greatest stories ever. Uh, Anywho, was... we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. All I wanted to say was that funeral reception brought together two people that, for me, I had been struggling to overcome their differences together. 
And it was that that uh, unifying experience that brought them together. And then you brought up, you know, the thing with the music and the song and the what? Uh, what band was that? Abandoned, abandoned Kansas. Kansas. Ugh. I like. Why don't you don't like the name? It's very emo. Sounding. No, I like the name. I'm just saying, if you're from Kansas, it's like, hey, get out. Nah, who cares? Your dad. Your dad. Your dad. Did you just recently celebrate an anniversary with him? Was it his birthday recently? Uh, or was it the anniversary of his death, or what? No, no the 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 anniversary for his death is in a little a less than a month. Yeah. Uh, no, okay. no, not a birthday or anything. I, it just probably something came up on Facebook. But your dad was awesome. I love your dad. It was very fun. Very, your whole very family funny. is a bucket of awesome. I agree. I really, oh, man. I love them a lot. They're pretty decent human beings. Love them a lot. Especially we'll all your be sisters. hanging out soon. Oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I said, especially your sisters. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I'm going to say is, Emily, shut up and dance with me. Because I'll I think... be without a wife. And you'll be <laughs> hopefully you'll without be your husband. Down the aisle with Emily, so. Me? Yeah, because her, her brother's, uh, her brother, well, that's really odd. I'm her brother. Her <laughs> husband, that's really weird. I've been drinking at it's 1230. Her husband's my best man. Listen, what? I I couldn't choose. What? Oh, I'm sorry, Mister. I'm gonna have my fourth kid and still haven't named Luca Godfather yet. I still haven't named one of my brothers Godfather, and I only have two brothers. What? Who? who wait, who are the Godfathers of of your kids? Why am I not one of them? It doesn't make sense. Okay. No one has made me a Godfather besides <laughs> Scott. Besides my buddy Scott, and I'm I love my goddaughter. She. Is one of the best parts of my life. To uh, be honest, I just mean. Okay, I just of... want to point out that Scott, when I saw him, said, "Luke, I can't believe he moved to Kentucky." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that does not surprise me at all. It's the first thing that he brought up. Hey, what's up? I can't believe Luke moved to Kentucky. <laughs> I moved to Cincinnati. We got an apartment in Kentucky because my fiance hates me. Go on. There you go. So one, Chris, who was the best man at my wedding. Oh yeah, your best friend. You let everyone. Okay, here's the thing. Imagine <laughs> having a podcast for one of the parts. Yeah, it's these two guys who are best friends, Luke and Gomer. They have a podcast together. Except when Gomer ever brings up a guy named Chris, he says, "My best friend, Chris Miller." And I go, "So Chris Miller, my best friend, my best friend, Chris Miller." Listen, yeah. listen. Who I like? I mean, I like Chris a lot. I have three groups of best friends. You ready for this? Yep. Best friend numero one is Chris Miller. I've known him since I was like a fetus. That's not true. I've known him since sixth grade. Um, but he's like the guy, right? I was best man at his wedding. He's best man at my wedding. He's the go-to best friend, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Then college happened, and I met Luke, who shall yeah. not be last name, John, yeah. and Adam. Arr. And I consider you three my best friends. Because, actually, I've spent more time with you in the last 10 years than I've spent with Chris Miller in the last <laughs> 15 or 20 years. So, <laughs> right, 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 right. So, that's a thing. But then, you ask me, who's your best friend? Like, right now, I don't, I mean, it's Chris Miller and you guys. Like, if you were saying, like, who is the guy you go to? I don't go to a guy. I go to Chris Miller or I go to, more often, you, John, and Adam. Um, but then there's a guy named Father Paul. Mm. Hello. Um, mm. Father Paul, the artist mm-hmm. formerly known as Matt. Matt and I were really good friends, and I'm responsible for him loving Jesus, and now he's a priest, so he owes me all of that. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I consider him to be, like, I introdu- I, like, when I talk about him, I say, yeah, he's one of my best friends. So I say Luke is one of my best friends. John one of my best friends. I don't say. Uh, John Son of a, son of a gun. <laughs> Didn't mean to do that. But I don't say other people from my high school or grade school or elementary yeah, yeah. are my best friends. Even if I still t- keep in touch with them. Because of all of my Oklahoma life, it's Chris, it's Chris. And of my college life, it's you three. And of my Houston life, it's Father Paul? Is that fair? No, I think so. Because, I mean, I consider, like, you, John, and Adam to be my – to be – um, to be my best friends, but obviously you consider Emily's husband to be your best best friend, <laughs> and Scott to be 
one of my best friends. Him and his wife are two of my best friends. And But, like, in high school, I would say Joel and Nick and Aaron and my buddy Sean. I mean, I've been really... I mean, this is going to sound horrible. I've... I feel like I have such I have tons of great friends. Yeah. No, I you shouldn't feel you know? horrible about that. But if you and had I to think... pick one, you would pick me, which is why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Listen, and if yet I have... I'm not your best man. If I had to pick one, it would be uh who was really cool that I've always I gotten along with well. Nick. Gabe Leesmeyer. Remember him? He was cool. Can I tell you, can we end on this story? Yes. Um because I gotta be so bad. Okay, I went to confession with Father Paul after he became a priest. And before we we were having this awkward small talk. And I was just, and it was like, we really couldn't get started. And I just said, all right, enough with the foreplay fenner. Let's get this on or something like that. Yeah. It was was funny at the time. Entirely inappropriate. Entirely inappropriate. He just was like, <laughs> so hopefully Father John doesn't hear this because he'd be like, like, he would, like he would how dare you, brother? How dare Steve you? Tomorrow? Like, be like, I'm sorry. You're so important. Why do you love me? You were a huge part of my college life before everything else happened with everyone else. All right. I am at the Luke V. Where are you at, Gomer? I am in my house with a broken chair at AMD Gomer. And you can find us on Twitter at C Foxes Podcast. That's at the letter C Foxes Podcast. Five, four, three. Love you, buddy. Two. I love you. I should be the best man. Bye.